They were right on the doorstep of the next chapter of their lives. Tens of thousands of people, the youngest to the oldest, all staring across the river at what would soon be their new homeland. And with them was Moses, the leader who got them here, but who would not cross the river with them. And knowing his time was short before they stepped into the next part of their journey, he decided he wanted to give them his last shot, his final words, before he handed off the leadership of the people of God to Joshua. And we have those words captured in our book of the Bible called Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a series of Moses' history lessons and sermons and a reiteration of the law and warnings and pep talks for the people of God before they stepped into their new homeland. And although it's ridiculous for, for me to even hint at comparing myself with Moses, his last words captured in Deuteronomy help me summarize my last words to you. And I really mean summarize because this entire book of, uh, of the Bible, Deuteronomy, I'm just ex- summarizing in the most extreme way, just nine words. Last week, I just shared three words with you. Uh, this week, uh, just two words. And the last week, my last sermon here as senior pastor of Grace Church will just be four words. Now, last week, I led with these three words that I believe that Moses was saying to the people of God. Take the land. Bring about the kingdom of God wherever you go. And we understand that to mean to bring healing to the broken places of the world. Now, today, I want to focus on just two words that come from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. It summarizes even more of Moses' parting instructions. So I would like it if you could grab a Bible and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. It's a little longer passage, and again, I'm going to summarize it just to to two words. Deuteronomy chapter 30, I'll give you a moment to get a Bible. Hope you're doing well, hope you're staying safe and healthy, and I hope you can join us next week, by the way, as uh, I get ready to wrap up my time here of uh, 42 years of pastoral ministry and 29 uh, years at Grace Church. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting weekend. Odd, weird, yes, that it's ending this way, but I'm looking forward to it. All right, uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. These, again, are the words of Moses to the people of God before they cross the Jordan River into their new homeland. This command I give, I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand, and it's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven, so distant that you must ask who will go up in heaven to bring it down so we can hear it obey. It's not kept across the sea so far away that you must ask who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey. No, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart so that you can obey it. Now listen. Today, I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, his decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. Now, if you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away, and you refuse to listen, and if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. Now pay attention to these last few verses. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. 
Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would, here it is, choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. Now, I said that pretty clearly what I want to hone in on here in verse 19. Oh, that you would choose life. This is what I wish for you, dear Grace Church friends. I want you to choose life, but what does that mean? Well, look at verse 20. It's pretty clear. Moses says you can make this choice, choose life, by A, loving the Lord your God, he says in verse 20. In other words, uh, well, here's how Jesus said it. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is making God the focus of your devotion. So that's the first way to choose life. Second is to obey him. Do the right thing. Live obediently. And third, commit yourself firmly to him. In other words, prioritize God that he will always be first and be the only one you worship. And for sure, absolutely, I agree, obviously, with Moses on these three ways to choose life. Choose life. But I'm, I'm going to go further. I want, here's what I want as your pastor. I want you to choose your best possible life. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm afraid that many of you are not living your best possible life. Um, you have not chosen the best possible life. And you know what I'm talking about because even when I say this, you sense it, you feel it, you ache for it. You've been been wanting to figure this out for some time. So today, in the time I have with you, can I give you some direction on how you can choose life or choose your best possible life? Now, what I'm about to explain to you is not new. It's, this is not something I haven't said before. As a matter of fact, you're going to roll your eyes when you hear me say this because I talk about this all the time. This has become my life message and one that I will continue on even as I leave pastoring at Grace Church. I've talked about this a lot even as, as uh, late as January, the last week in January, I talked about this and that is choosing life or choosing your best possible life by pursuing your destiny. Look, everyone begins their adult life with great hope and expectation. Uh, They begin to climb the first mountain. Now, the first mountain is about choosing uh, to pursue two goals. The first one is the establishment of your identity. Defining who you are. Richard Rohr says it is uh, crafting the, the cup or the vessel into which your life will be held, your identity. For some of you, it is, unfortunately, you, you're crafting your identity based on what you think somebody thinks you should be, maybe your parents or other people in your life. So when you're climbing the first mountain, there's a lot of comparison and a lot of checking your reputation and make sure you're being perceived well. This, this is what... Almost all all of us have to go through climbing this first mountain, but that's not the only goal. There's another goal, and that is the pursuit 
of the American dream. Uh, the American dream is the uh, pursuit of uh, happiness and the pursuit of security. It is having the nice home. It is having the nice family, the good vacations, good food, all those things. This is the first mountain and this is the life we choose or we seek. But, and there's always a but, something inevitably happens as we're pursuing the first mountain or climbing the first mountain. Uh, maybe it's failure. You're trying hard, but you make maybe a big mistake. Um, you mess up. Or maybe there's pain or tragedy. Or maybe you hit a point, this existential kind of a midlife crisis when you ask, is this all there is? And you're like, is this all there is? Pursuing this American dream or just defining my identity? And when you get to this point, you hit the valley of bewilderment. And in the valley of bewilderment, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety. Uh, what now? It, it can feel like death or the death of a dream. Who am I now? When you fall off that first mountain, how do you choose life when you're in the valley of bewilderment? Now, here's what some people try to do. They try to, if they, when, they, when this happens and they hit this valley of bewilderment, they end up trying to reclimb the first mountain. Uh, they try to change their identity or move to some other state or city or the, abandon their career and find a different career or maybe divorce or have uh, you know, a relational breakup all to try to recapitulate this first mountain and change the dream in their life. That's inevitably it's never that never that never succeeds and you, it doesn't feel like life and you end up again falling into the valley so what is our choice at that point in the valley of bewilderment i would suggest to you that our choice at that point is to start to climb the second mountain here's how you choose life and this second mountain is the mountain of destiny. The mountain of destiny. And Richard Rohr calls this part of your journey the further and fantastic journey. He says, Richard Rohr suggests, that the first mountain is merely the warm-up act. This is the real life that you want to shoot for. That's what it means to choose life. On this second mountain, now listen carefully what I'm about to say. On this second mountain, you are no longer interested in what other people tell you you want or what you want to be. On this second mountain, you want the things that are worth wanting. David Brooks, and I should say, David Brooks wrote the book where I got this illustration of the first and second mountain. He wrote uh, the book called The Second Mountain. He says this, the first mountain is about acquisition, getting the second mountain is about contribution, giving. He says the first mountain is about building up your ego and defining yourself, 
whereas the second mountain is about shedding your ego and losing yourself. In other words, the first mountain is about you. The second mountain is about others. On this second mountain, you begin to live in response to a summons that's on your life. You all have, have, have a summons on your life by God himself calling you to your destiny. Now here's the question. If this is the way to choose life, and if this is the way out of the valley of bewilderment, is it possible to actually discover your destiny? Can you identify the summons on your life? And the answer is yes. Now, let me step aside and speak personally here for a second. This process of helping people discover their destiny is something that I started to do over the last 10 years here at Grace Church. And I felt my own personal destiny was helping others find theirs. And so if people have been asking me, what am I going to do? Am I retiring? I'm actually not retiring. I'm resetting. I'm reloading. And I'm launching into a new business where I will actually coach people in discovering their identity and not just people, or the, not their identity, their destiny. Um, and not just individuals, but groups and teams and organizations helping them discover their, their corporate destiny as well. That's what I'm going to do. So thank you for asking. But this, I am passionate about this. You've heard me talk about this. And this is what I want to give my life to. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Your destiny, can be, how can you find it? Well, your destiny can be found at the intersection of two massive truths. One of them is an awesome truth. And the other is an awful truth. I'm going to run out of space here. Awful truth. Let, let's talk about the awesome truth because the awesome truth is about you. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece, or you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Look, before you were born, before you took on form, God looked at you and he not only loved you, he liked you. He liked who you were going to turn out to be. He liked your personality. He saw how your life would play out, how your life story would play out, how your skills would develop and how your passions would develop. And those Four elements in your life, your life story, your personality, your skills and passions. This makes you who you are. You are a masterpiece. That's the awesome truth. But that awesome truth intersects with the awful truth. Uh, Romans 8.22. And Romans 8.22 says this. We know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This is what we talked about last week. Talked about the six broken places. The, the brokenness of the world can be seen in the six broken places of the world. Separation. People are separated from the God of the universe. Their souls are separated from God. Isolated. We're isolated and lonely in, in, and we, we're disconnected from others. That's a broken place. Third broken place is pain. And we're not just talking about our bodies talking about our minds and our spirits, people are broken and in pain. 
Then there's hatred, which is the, the feelings of racism towards one another and, and prejudice. And then there's decay, the decay of the planet and the physical creation itself. And finally, injustice, huge swaths of, of injustice from poverty to uh, homelessness to abortion. These are the broken places of the world. That is the awful truth that intersects with the awesome truth of who you are. Now watch this, watch this, Be care- pay attention to this. Where those truths intersect, your awesomeness coupled with the awfulness of the world, that's where you will find your identity. That is your why to live for. Now, let me give you a little, some definitions of destiny. So maybe this will make more sense. Vincent Van Gogh said this, your destiny is not what brings home your weekly paycheck. It's not what you're put on earth to do. Um, it, excuse me, it is what you're put on earth to do with such passion and such intensity that it becomes spiritual in nature. That's your destiny. Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, said it this way. You were built to count as water is made to run downhill. You are placed in a specific context to count in ways that no one else does. That is your destiny. I I don't think I've ever had a conversation with somebody about this where it didn't end up in some level of enthusiasm or animation. And I would say nine times out of ten, when, we start, when I talk with somebody individually over a cup of coffee or whatever, about their destiny, about their calling, it, it ends up in tears, the conversation. Why? It's because they know they have been, they tried this. They have, like everyone else, they've, they've climbed the first mountain. And they've been trying to pursue the American dream and they've been trying to define their identity. But because of whatever, it's failure, pain, or tragedy, or some sort of midlife crisis, they've in this valley of bewilderment and they they know there's something more they should be living for. And so I've had conversations with professional athletes and doctors and farmers and people uh, in retail sales and mom, uh, you know, moms and teachers and, and everyone says the same thing they end up with this deep desire to know what is my destiny how can I choose life here's a real quick story I was speaking about this in Louisiana actually right before the whole pandemic I was at LSU speaking to some college students uh, young men about this topic and as I as I began the conversation one young man raised his hand and he and he was like he didn't really have much. He didn't really get it. When he talked, thought about himself, he, the, word, the way he described himself was, he said, you know, my whole goal, my whole goal I just want to make enough money, I, 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 and I'm, I think I'm going to be good at it. But as the conversation wore on for, for the next number of hours we were together, it started to hit him. Even at his young age, I think he was only like 20 years old, and he realized as he started to pay attention to his grandma, he told me about his grandma and his mother, and he realized he had this epiphany that his second mountain was going, he may very well be good at making money, but it was so that he could give it away the way his grandmother gave her life away. And he stood there with tears realizing at 20 years old, he had a broader, bigger, deeper life to live for. He wanted to choose the life 
of destiny. You know that pursuing destiny will give you life. What are you waiting for? Now, now that I've got you all hopefully excited and thinking about your destiny, I'm going to give you a warning about it. Because pursuing your destiny involves others and moving into the broken places of the world, it is inherently dangerous. It is not comfortable. It is not easy. To pursue your destiny and your calling is expensive in every sense of the word. First mountain living is much easier. That's why people live it. Second mountain living is much more difficult. Look, most American Christians are first mountain people. They're more comfortable living for the American dream with a little religion thrown in as they wait for heaven. That's unfortunately the state of Christianity in America. Far more people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ are really first mountain Christians and they're waiting around for heaven. Tom Sign, the author Tom Sign said it this way, most Christians are waiting for soul rescue while they live for fat city. But that's not the life that Jesus is calling you to live. That's not what it means to choose life according to Jesus. Here's what Jesus had in mind. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, from Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. That doesn't sound very comfortable. That's not about some kind of American dream. When you pursue your God-summoned destiny, and you've been summoned by God, as you climb the second mountain, it will cost you dearly as if you're taking up your own cross. What do I mean? Well, for instance, let's say that you feel your calling, your destiny somehow revolves around being an ambassador to other people in the world to help mend this broken place of separation, representing God in the broken place of separation. Think of the relational complications as you try to influence the skeptics in your life. Think of the patience it will take to get in the room and stay in the room with people who do not believe what you believe. Think of all the heartache that you will experience as people reject your message. I'm telling you, to pursue your destiny to heal the broken places is not, choosing life this way is not choosing the easy life. What if, what if you, are, you feel your destiny or calling is, isn't healing the broken place of isolation, that you're a nurturer? Are you ready for the cost, what the cross you're going to have to bear? It might mean that you've got to invest your life in someone who is not easy to love or who will not give you back when you invest in their life. Or maybe you realize God's calling you to adopt or to become foster parents. This is not an easy life. It's taking up your cross daily. Or maybe you feel like your calling or destiny is as a, a healer in in, in confronting the broken place of pain. Are you ready to take up your cross? Over the last number of weeks, we continue and we should highlight and thank our first responders and our health givers, healthcare givers who are risking their lives on our behalf, caring for people with the virus. Uh, are, you, are you ready to step into the life of someone who's hurting? Or maybe it's not physical pain. Do you realize what it will take to come alongside someone who has mental illness or mental pain? It's costly. 
or those who have spiritual pain and are demonized, are you willing to step into the gap? All I'm saying is to follow your calling or your destiny is not easy. Or maybe you feel called to be a steward, to care for God's creation uh, as the world is in decay. If that's the case, if you feel that's your calling, are you ready for the scorn and the eye rolls from people who will call you uh, things that they feel threatened by your personal choices or as you take on global warming are you ready for the uphill battle of people who deny it and and think that you're some kind of tree hugger are you ready for that choosing that destiny choosing that calling is not easy or, or maybe you feel like God's calling you to be an activist to fight against the broken place of hatred are you ready to feel what it's going to feel like when you take on America's original sin of racism and slavery? Are you ready to take on the territorial demons that I think have a stranglehold on this nation when it comes to the, to the matter of hatred? All I'm saying is if you choose to pursue your calling and your destiny in healing that broken place, then gear up, or as Tim would say, gird your loins. It's not going to be easy. Or maybe you feel like you've been called to be a champion engaging the broken place of injustice uh, the big things like poverty and homelessness and abortion it will take enormous time and resources so i don't know if i've talked you out of it maybe maybe we should all just go climb up climb back up to the first mountain and stay here because it sounds a lot easier and it probably is we could just climb the first mountain and deal with our identity we could climb the first mountain and just live for the american dream and Mix in a little religion. Maybe it's easier just to do that and then just wait to go to heaven. But that's not what it means to choose life. Gary Haugen said it this way. Here's the choice that our Father wants us to understand as Christians. Do we want to live brave or safe? We simply can't be both. Doing God's will in a fallen world is inherently dangerous. This is inherently dangerous. In fact, if following Jesus does not feel dangerous, we should probably pause and check to see if it is Jesus we're following. Mm. Makes me want to drop a mic right there. I'll say that, say that second sentence again. Look, if following Jesus does not feel dangerous to you, then you should probably pause and check to see if it is Jesus you're following. So yes, you know you must pursue your destiny. There's no going back. Grace family, this is what makes Grace Church, Grace Church. This is what makes us such a unique expression of God's kingdom. We're trying to help you. This is why we exist, to help you move into the exhilarating and dangerous world of your destiny. Grace Church, I know, is not an easy church to attend because we're going to continue reminding you that this is what you should be about. But I'll be honest, there's no place I would rather be. Donna Markova, in her book, I Will Not Die an Unlived Life, summarizes, I think, the ethos of this church and this whole concept of pursuing your destiny in Jesus' name. And this is a, a poem I want to read for you. Listen to what, how she describes it. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. 
I choose to inhabit my days, to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live so that which came to me as a seed goes to the next as blossom, goes on as fruit. Friends, you were made for more. You were made for more. You were made by God and been summoned by God to climb the second mountain, to take the further journey towards your destiny. Choose this life. It is there. As you take up your cross, you will find your adventure and you will find pain and joy and the most significance you could ever imagine. I leave you with the words of the great theologian Stephen King, who said this, if God gives you something you can do, why in God's name wouldn't you do it? <laughs>